Hello and welcome to Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What? The podcast where Macintosh and Mod force each other to watch movies they should have already seen. I'm David, aka Macintosh. And I'm Diana, aka Mod. What are we watching this week? So, this week, we watched Reservoir Dogs. Correct. After a simple jewelry heist goes terribly wrong, the surviving criminals begin to suspect that one of them is a police informant. What? 1992. Mm-hmm. Quentin's, Quentin Tarantino's directorial debut. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the order exactly. But I want to say I saw this before Pulp Fiction. Or, that may not be true, Pulp Fiction was being shown on cable unedited. And I think I watched it with my mom, which was entertaining. Um, Did your mom like Pulp Fiction? Oh, yeah. Hmm. She's into Quentin. Hmm. Um, and then I got Reservoir Dogs later. And I think that was really the first one I'd seen head to toe. So I can't remember how that order goes. Um, okay. Uh, and fell in love immediately. It's Quentin Tarantino. Totally new experience. Mm-hmm. I feel like he's a person that you see and your mind is blown and then you start investigating everything and realize he's copying a bunch of that stuff. <laughs> he's doing what other people already did. Oh, yeah. Um, and then also... Um, my aunt turned me on to the soundtrack of this movie before I ever saw it, which the soundtrack itself was kind of... Soundtrack is great. And, and that I, makes honestly, total sense that she would do that. And between this and um, Pulp Fiction, I'd actually say this is the better soundtrack. I'm not saying something, but... I haven't seen Pulp Fiction in a very long time. I don't, I don't even think I've watched it all, like, this just, like all the way through. Well, we'll have to do like in that. One, like in, well, I mean, I've seen the whole movie. Right. But I don't think I've seen it all in, like, the correct order. <laughs> like, all... I think I've seen, like, I saw the middle portion, and then I saw the beginning portion, and then I saw the end portion, like, at different times. Well, to be fair, that's how it goes. <laughs> the movie's completely told out of order. So maybe you did see the whole thing, and you just don't realize that it was out of order. Uh, I mean... Um, yeah, I mean, he, he plays with timelines constantly. Yes, he does. Especially early on. Um, Kill Bill, I know you've seen. Yes. Both parts. And then Inglorious Bastards. Love Inglorious Bastards. And Django Unchained, which we saw. I don't love it. I enjoyed it. I did like it. Um, and then I saw The Hateful Eight, you didn't. You don't need to see The Hateful Eight. It, it has fun moments, but you would hate it. Yeah, there was nothing about that movie that made me want to see it. The only other one that I might add to our list is Jackie Brown. I haven't seen Jackie Brown. It's a very different movie for him. In some ways. Yeah. Though maybe not with this one. So let's talk about Quentin a little bit. Okay. First of all, let's just talk about your general thoughts about Tarantino. He's a very troubled guy. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Um... He likes to use the N-word more than is appropriate for his films. Yeah. 
There was there was an interesting bit of trivia in there where Jason Ritter, I believe, did an entirely did a staged reading because they do this and they they've got yeah. this whole scene in L.A. where they do this. But he did a staged reading of Reservoir Dogs with all black actors. Mm-hmm. And cool. and they said it really primarily worked because most of these white guys in this movie talk like they're black anyway. Okay. That was just one observation on it. Hmm. So it was interesting. And the weird part about that is his background of he grew up in a predominantly African American neighborhood. No, the, that seeing exploitation movies. No, I, I get all that. I've I've listened to all of his, you know, Terry Gross interviews and yeah. all that junk. Um I know his backstory. I still don't I I don't like the use of the N word. The That's only fair. time where it felt appropriate was during Django Unchained. And you know. Um I don't, I don't like it. Okay. Um, but I don't automatically hate him like a lot of people do. A lot of people go, oh, it's Quentin. I don't want anything to do with it. He's a, he's a hit or miss director for a lot of people. And oh, that's this, fa- no, that's fair. That's and totally many, fair. And for many reasons, this movie is the reason for it. But we'll talk about that. Okay. Um... But no, I, I, you know, I really loved Inglorious Bastards, but I think some of that has to do with the fact that Christoph Waltz can do no wrong. I think I won two back-to-back Oscars. <laughs> I mean... So, but in general for Quentin, the movies mm-hmm. you've seen, love him, hate him, I'm love saying, certain things about him? I like certain things he's done. What are the, what are the specific things that you like in his movies? I like it when he does the fast-paced dialogue. Okay. I do really like that. I like a lot of his characters. Yes. I think he makes great characters. I think where we have a problem is he's not a very good storyteller. That's why I really want to show you Jackie Brown. Because I feel like it's the best, it's the tightest and best story he's told with the most amount of true characters. See, in Glorious Bastards, I think that's why I like that one so much, that it had a very straightforward story. Yes. You just had a lot of characters, and all those characters were interesting, and they all tied together better. And so we still got to do his back and forth, little snippet here, little snippet there, and it all came together. Right. And some of that is also growth yeah. as a writer and oh, a director. Yeah. That's all fair. Um, you know, we had the same thing with with uh, Scorsese. I, I didn't love... Goodfellas as much as I love Departed. Right. And, you know, there's 30 years between those two. You, hopefully you learn things. Yeah, and, and even even jumping back, it was, it, you know, he had done a whole bunch of work to culminate to that level of an epic studio production. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm not an automatically anti-Quentin. You know, with The Hateful Eight, I was like, there's nothing about this movie that makes me want to go sit through it. And it's three hours long, which doesn't help. If it was an hour and a half, I would have been like, yeah, I'll go see it. I'm an unabashed Quentin fan, and even yes. that was kind of a slog. Yeah. It it was there are some great fun parts in that's it. That's the equivalent of you telling me, yeah, that Star Wars movie sucks. I was like, whoa. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was just like, eh. Like, you know, I I enjoyed it yeah. for what it was and enjoyed the Quentinness of it, but I also am like, I don't nobody else needs to see that movie. That's fair. This is the other hand I feel like we're gonna have a little bit of a disagreement on. Okay. <laughs> but um just to give a little context for the movie, so 
this was obviously his first movie. He had gone to the Sundance Lab the year before mm-hmm. and done about 10 minutes of different scenes with it. Okay. Um, with Steve Buscemi. Um, and it was just a lot of different intercut scenes. He played Mr. White and Buscemi played Mr. Pink. Mm-hmm. But in a lot of ways, it was just trying to test out some of those scenes to see how they worked on film and, and get those. Like a staged reading. Um, in some ways. Um, and from there, intended to get 30 grand, like his buddy Robert Rodriguez had done with El Mariachi. Mm-hmm. Just get a tiny amount of money together, shoot it in black and white, 16 millimeter, and just make a fucking movie. Yeah. And then Harvey Keitel read the script mm-hmm. and said, I'm in. That just changed things. And Harvey, at this point, had gotten way into the indie scene. I don't know. I think Bad Lieutenant had come out a couple years before this, which was a giant, huge thing for... He was playing a totally drug-addled and maniacal psychopath cop. Oh, and this was right before the piano. Um... So Keitel was deep into his indie phase, mm-hmm. and so I'm sure that's where he, he saw this script floating around. With him attached, they got $1.5 million. Yeah, no, no, I knew that. And so they had a bit of a budget to work with, but it wasn't much. Yeah, one, 1. 1.2, you know, barely gets you um, your film. Oh, yeah. Because this is not digital times. Nope. And that barely gets you, you know, a set. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, funny, we could, we'll talk about that scene, but they blew the entire music budget on Stuck in the Middle with you. Because Quentin said, I don't care whatever other song we get, I want that this song. This one has to, that's okay. <laughs> We've run into that a few times where we're just like, when we're working on stuff and we're just like, ugh, if it's not this, I'm gonna be sad. Yeah. Um... And so, the actors in it, they talk about, you know, Michael Madsen's car. Mm -hmm. Michael Madsen's car is his own car. And Harvey Keitel's suit is his suit. All of, you know, half of the time. Steve Buscemi's pants are his pants. He was wearing black jeans because he didn't have suit pants. (laughs) Whatever. Um, There are apparently goofs aplenty. But, yeah. So, let's talk about the cast then. Okay. Harvey Keitel as Mr. White. It's pretty good. Um, a true criminal. He's the seasoned vet yep. of this little group. I know they're working for an older dude, but he's you know he's done he's done time. Yep. He he knows what's up. He's he's that old school gangster guy. And we've got his name here. He is Larry Dimmick. But he's Mr. White. Talks about a girl named Alabama. All of these characters weirdly tie into other Quentin scripts. Like of all of they... his all of his movies somehow tie together in some ways. He's like Kevin Smith in that way. Yeah. He has to connect them. They okay. were very similar. Uh Tim Roth is Mr. Orange. He's awesome. I think he's the best part of the movie. I okay, for one, it's super weird to see, I always whenever I see him, I think I wanna call him Rip Torn. <laughs> I do every time. I think I had them confused in my head for a while in life. Um, but that's that's Tim Roth. And he has really not aged. No. Like, he's a little more wrinkly, but I, he's had that same face forever. How, <laughs> how do you feel about his accent? I, I... <laughs> it's, it's not great. <laughs> I didn't care. I mean, he spends a good portion of the movie moaning on the floor. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> 
which still I'm I'm alternately I see you laughing at that when, yeah. we, when we started it and I, I'm alternately in that moment like when I originally saw it I think my hands were over my mouth because I hadn't seen this is it's this is way more violent I think than yeah. any of his movies and I was like oh my god no. I can't believe it's violent in the sense that unlike a lot of his movies which are cartoonish mm -hmm. this feels real this was not played to be cartoonish no it feels very very starkly violent mm -hmm. and that to me is what makes it a little more disconcerting when you see it mm. um michael madsen as mr blonde uh well i always forget who michael madsen is yeah <laughs> as a person <laughs> um he's don't care about him. You don't care about Mr. Blonde. don't care about the sociopath. He didn't... I, I didn't care about him. Yeah. I think they cast him incorrectly. I don't know. What's interesting is, and, and I think this kind of bleeds through, he had a really hard time with violence on camera. I don't care. You were hired to do a job and you did a shitty job of it. <laughs> well, no, I, I understand that. I'm wondering if that played through, though. No, I don't care about him in any scene. Hmm. Okay, then. <laughs> I'm shocking. That was fine. Because I uh, tend to, like, that's how little I care about him. I have nothing to say about him. Verbal shrug. Verbal shrug. We haven't come up with that word yet. We'll, we'll get there. Uh, Chris Penn as nice guy Eddie Cabot. Okay, when I saw him, I didn't I didn't know what his name was, and I was like, is he related to Sean Penn? And you're like, yeah, but he's dead. Yeah, yep. big shock. Younger brother, I, I said I, older at the time, but he's younger. He's the youngest. I really liked him. He played a kind of a schmuck really well. Okay, now do you know? You've seen him in another movie. Have I? Yes. Which movie? Footloose. He's the cowboy. Oh my Baker god, is he is. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember the guy's name. I hate that show. Okay. <laughs> He's We're... Willard. Willard is his name in Footloose. God, that... Ugh. I had to do that musical. Yes, it's a musical. It's a jukebox musical. It's horrible. And I had to do this my senior show in, in high school, and I... It was awful. I mean, I had a lot of fun, because... <laughs> I, I can make a lot of things fun. But it was horrible. <laughs> that show's awful. Uh, oh, man. I, man I but yeah, I, I, I was wondering if you'd put that no, together. No, no. I, I didn't but go yeah. look at the IMDb. Um, but had a long... He had a long and, and obviously overshadowed by his brother, but a long character actor run. Um, I mean, he was mm -hmm. in Shortcuts. He did a bunch of stuff in the 90s that was part of that whole indie scene. So he's always been one of those character actors under the radar. Cool. Um, but yeah, he's really good in this movie. Yeah, he was. I really liked his... Um... Okay, what is his character name? Is he Mr. Blue? No, he's Nice Guy. Nice Guy Eddie. Okay. He's the... We never see Mr. Blue, right? We do, in the first scene. Okay. We'll talk about him. Um, we only see him in that first scene. We don't see him... Because then he gets get shot. Get... He gets killed. Yeah, but we don't okay. see him get killed, which is weird. But... I know, they just talk about it. I don't know. Okay. Um, Steve Buscemi is Mr. Pink. He's amazing. The other best part of this movie. He's, I, I don't think I have ever seen Steve Buscemi not be awesome. There have been things that I don't like, but I always like him. 
he is awesome and he fully commits. Whether no matter how ridiculous it is, that he's in this. I, I'm showing the picture, but it's the shot where he's on the ground with Kaitel at the begin near the beginning of the movie. Yeah, and he's just like, "I'm a professional. You're acting like a first year fucking thief." Like, he just curses brilliant. really well. Oh yeah, yeah, which I appreciate. Um, Harvey Keitel curses pretty damn well in this movie too. Yeah, but Charlie he's... fucking Chan. <laughs> No, it's not as fun. It's not as fun as when Buscemi does it. I know, he's so good in that. He's good in and this everything. Is, and this is still the height of his manic phase. Like I think recently we've turned to this much different him. Him diving into deeper roles and yeah. kind of calm. Well, I mean, I'm I think, thinking Boardwalk Empire and things like that. I think he's he's being given more of a. He's doing more television. Yes. Um, which. I think is really funny that now a lot more movie actors are like I want to get on a TV series to show how much range I have. And oh yeah, it's really it's kind of funny, um, and I think for him he's getting to do more leading man stuff as opposed to just the character side guy. Now to be fair, the character side guy is usually the more fun role to play. Oh yeah, typically, uh, but you know sometimes it's nice to be the star. Um, I'm he's scrolling just through. Great, I love him in everything. He's adorable on 30 Rock. He's just game. Yep. Like, when you have an actor who just shows up and is just like, all right, I'm here, what do you want me to do? I'll do it. Let's go. He's a true actor. Yes. And that's what makes him awesome. And I also love the whole thing with his name. He does not care. (laughs) Mr. Pink? No, like Uh Buscemi. It's Uh it's actually, he's, I think I heard it in an interview. It probably was on Terry Gross because that's what I listen to all the time. Something to the effect. It's like, well, how do you pronounce your name? It's like, I think it's supposed to be Busemi, but it's just Pichel. I don't care. <laughs> like, this is my name. I don't care. Um, <laughs> like, I I like that he, he does not care. All right. No, I think it was Tom Hanks talking about it. Because they did the movie. Yeah. All right. Okay. Lawrence, Tier- Lawrence Tierney as Joe Cabot. That's the old dude they work for. Yes. He's dull. Um, he could not remember any of his lines and I got read, fired after three days. I read that. He was dull. But, you know, not knowing what you're supposed to be saying can do that to you. Yeah, he... Had Quentin gotten his first choice of Robert Forster, who wound up in Jackie Brown, that would have worked. Knowing knowing what Robert Forster does in that movie and, and all the gangster-type things he'd done yeah. in the 70s, it would have worked really well for that. But, you know, it just... They, they got kind of a drunkie who had lost his way a little bit. Um, Mr. Blue, who we only see in the breakfast scene, but who's it, he's worth mentioning only because he's an interesting dude. Um, Eddie Bunker was actually a career criminal and the youngest felon to ever go to San Quentin. And then became an actor. I'm sure his mother's so proud. I don't know. <laughs> had a long and illustrious career after that. Huh. Doing other stuff, but yeah, he uh, at seventeen he went away for like armed robbery and stuff like that, and said that um, nothing in this movie would have been uh, reliable in any way. <laughs> he was like, it, "This would have been a terrible heist. You couldn't have you couldn't have been dressed like that. You couldn't no. have gone to breakfast beforehand because no. there would have been crap tons of witnesses." See, yeah. And he's like, "I would have never done a job with five guys I didn't trust." Oh, for sure. So, it, it was interesting to hear the, the this, actual thief's perspective. The heist was doomed from the beginning. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, that's funny. And then finally, we have Quentin. How do you feel about Quentin? 
I feel like this is the best acting he's done in any of his movies. That's not saying much. <laughs> because he's not that great an actor. He's not an actor. No. First and foremost. And shouldn't. He's, he's a writer. He's occasionally a director. He's a writer. That's his lane. That's where he should stay. I don't have a problem with him having a cameo or some shit. Like... He would have been better better off playing the the high the old dude. Yeah. Like I don't know. And, and I get I I'm Well, fine. he he wrote himself as Mr. Pink. I know. And that was probably the best decision he's ever made to be like, okay, you it, and he's going to see and I yes, I've read the trivia. So yeah. I know that he he made Steve Buscemi Audition is like, you can have it if you do a really good audition. And that's what Steve did. He nailed it. Yep. Because that's Steve Buscemi. Um, yeah, he just shouldn't, he shouldn't be acting. He, he can't. <laughs> so he shouldn't. To be fair, he's not in the movie that long as a character. No, I, I understand. And he does get the line, Mr. Brown sounds like Mr. Shit. It's fair. <laughs> like, when he's saying one-off things like that, it's funny. Yeah. Because he does, he can deliver a sarcastic line very well. Yeah. That's to his credit. Um, and I, 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 he, I, I said he, this movie, Pulp Fiction's his best role. I won't describe what he says in that, because it's, it's very horrible. offensive. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, hilarious, given the situation. <laughs> yeah, he's just, you know, he should be the guy playing, you know, the cab driver. Or the doorman. Yeah. Stuff, stuff like that. He's better as that. And then one one little shout out. Stephen Wright as the K-B-L-Y DJ. Stephen Wright, the comedian. I know who Stephen Wright is. I could I didn't hear it and I don't care. Okay. Never mind. I think it's hilarious. That was a waste of payroll. <laughs> I don't, I, he should have been the voice. Me. He should have been the voice. Um, Quentin should have been the voice on the radio. Yeah. He's got a great radio voice. Yeah. It's very distinct. Who knows? Let's talk about the story. Okay. <laughs> do you have do you have actual comments to make or just you didn't like it? I don't like this movie. <laughs> it's a it's a and I totally understand why people do like it. I do. Uh, it's just a lot of people standing around yelling at each other and then killing each other. <laughs> Okay, but I got drawn in immediately because I felt like this is a play. You could stage this on a stage. That's fair. That's true. And that sucked me in that's on the second That's how I feel about every episode of Frasier. Yeah, that's... But <laughs> I just... I got so sucked in this time around by, like, how how central it all is to one location. Mm -hmm. How you could easily block this and stage it out on a stage. And you'd only have to figure out some separate scenes here and there. No, that and that that would work very well, and that would be cool. Uh, but that is not the that's not what we're watching. We're watching a movie. I know. To be fair, it's not much of a story per se, because the actual heist doesn't. You never see. You it. never see the heist, which is fine, um, because that's not what's interesting. What's interesting is you've got all these guys who are trying to figure out who's ratted them out because they got set up. Yeah, and then. It's just not prop. It's just not properly constructed. No. Um, and I feel like the best scenes are the ones where they're all together. The individual scenes aren't so great, and they go on too long. Yeah. With uh, the 
I don't love the the diner scene because I feel like that's too long, but I do like that they're all arguing and being like, "You're an asshole with the whole tipping thing." It's, yeah, it's, that's funny, and that's your your you're setting up who these people are. Yeah, like we you could have done with or without like a virgin. Yeah, that whole thing is stupid. But um, but, but the tipping sequence is brilliant. Tipping sequence is great because it lets you understand who these people are, and there's a lot of shot. There's it's, it's a character building scene. Oh yeah, which is fine. It's just everything else is weird, and then when with the reveal of Mister Orange, it's just kind of like really. It's it's an afterthought. See, and well, I, I don't. I didn't like it. At but all. I don't feel that way. I just. I, I, I don't. I, don't, I, don't I just feel like it unfolds more naturally and and abruptly than a normal movie would. Um, I don't know. It 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 still manages to just kind of explode my brain because he's doing he is doing everything you're not supposed to do in a movie. Like what? Uh, jump story. You know, he's he's subverting every expectation. He's jumping the storyline around in time. He's got guns firing in every which direction and never getting used. He's got, you know, entire sequences devoted to Tim Roth learning his lines to go be a character in this heist before we ever get to the scene. See, that's interesting, but how they should have played that was him wanting to become a gangster and only later do we realize that it wasn't him wanting to become a gangster, it's him being an undercover cop. But the other part of that is, he's a shitty undercover guy. Yeah. So why didn't they get the... No, it's just, it's not great. It's not great. I'm sorry. You're wrong. (laughs) No. (laughs) No, I just, uh, I've seen better. Okay. Um, what do you think, setting aside the story and the construction of the story, which I agree is pretty shoddy. Okay. How about the dialogue? I believe talked about my uh, annoyance with the overuse of the n-word yes um and and i don't i don't know if that's a 1992 thing that's a quentin thing yeah he's constantly using it yeah for no reason other than shock value and to be a complete dick like he wants it's to be controversial that's his mo to be fair, when this movie came out, nobody had seen anything like that on a movie screen, and it was genuinely shocking. I understand that. And I'm trying to think. I don't feel like he actually does it in the other movies. Yeah, he does. He says it a lot in Pulp Fiction. I'm pretty sure. I don't believe so. Okay. I don't care. It's <laughs> too much. <laughs> okay. And stop it, people. It's just bad. Okay. Setting that aside. Um, well, I liked the tipping scene. That was good. Did you like Let's Get a Taco? No. Oh, man. Those are some of my favorite lines. I don't know. It's It was on the soundtrack, too, but I just, I love those sequences. I mean, everything that Mr. Pink says is great. I like the whole, I'm a fucking professional. That That whole thing is great. I do like that. What about Tim Roth's story? About the sheriff's? I don't even remember it. Man. Yeah. No? No, it's stuck. This is not a winner for me. I'm sorry. It's okay. Hey, I finally watched it. Yeah. 
You don't rank it in the upper echelon of his stuff. Um, no, I my favorite of his movies that I have seen are Inglorious Bastards and then Django Unchained. That movie's badass. I mean, it is. Yeah. It's not my favorite because I just like Inglorious Bastards better because I, I love... It makes me laugh more. <laughs> um, and then probably Pulp Fiction. Okay. Well, now maybe Kill Bill, but Volume Two. I like two better than one. Pulp Fiction's still way up there for me because it takes what this movie did and goes. I need completely to see Pulp Fiction there. again because I know I saw it when I like, I probably wasn't allowed to watch it. Um, and then I've just seen bits back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Talking about the violence, mm-hmm. there is one scene in this movie that there were people who literally walked out of the theater, including when he first screened it, Wes Craven and Rick Baker walked wow, out Rick of Baker? the th- walked out of the theater at the ear scene. They don't even show it on screen. I know. I think that was intentional. Again, I don't know. Yeah, how it much was intentional because th- it's an effects problem and that's a money problem. And I don't know if. There's a time issue here where we've seen them do so much stuff that, you know... It, in, become, it becomes like torture porn. I know. But in 1992, it was amazingly shocking. That's all I know. Bullshit. A guy had a heart attack in the theater because of it. He had a Oh, heart... no, that was Pulp Fiction. That was... Somebody had a heart attack when they screened it when they did the Uma Thurman okay. adrenaline needle. He had a heart attack because he had heart disease. I don't... I don't... <laughs> this, is, this is not like epilepsy where some a flashing light can cause you to have a seizure that's not how hard attacks work I don't know oh, really I mean I, let's not give the movie that much credit I hope whoever had a heart attack is fine but I don't, let's not give the movie that much credit but I don't know there, were, there was a lot of controversy around that well, I'm sure, but the thing is, it wasn't just because of that. It was because of the whole movie. Yeah. So, no, it is not just that scene. No. I don't believe that. I believe that's their excuse. No. Because the other thing is, they don't even show it on screen. Yeah. They just, you know, show him, like, yell into the piece of ear and throw it. <laughs> Which, I mean, that's not a big deal. <laughs> it's gross, for sure. I don't know. There's been some way more disgusting things on on movies before that. Huh. Just with horror films, there's been way more disgusting stuff. It didn't. It didn't bother me when I saw it at the time, too. Um, but you know what? It does nothing for the story. So I can I can see him walking out and be like, "This is fucking stupid and gross. I'm leaving." I can understand that reasoning. So let me. I can let also me... see Rick Baker leaving and being like, "This is a horribly done effect. I'm offended." <laughs> he told Quentin to take it as a compliment. That's fair. Because it was that realistic now and we, horrifying. Now, are we talking makeup artists, Rick Baker? Which Rick Baker are we talking about? Uh, it was. That's who, that's who I think. I think it was the. They said the special effects person. Yeah, that's that's the makeup dude, who's won like eleven plus Oscars for special effects makeup. Yeah. Um, I don't know this. I'm going to do my one defense of the script, which is, it reminds me of some of the plays I've read. Um, I feel like the dialogue is so amazing and rhythmic. I really get caught up in that with it. I get why you like it. I enjoy the back and forth. I get why y'all like it. 
Um, I just don't. Do you think that's it? That it's you, you, you totally see where people would totally be into this movie and love it, and then you're just like, it's just not my thing at all. No, I think it's crap. <laughs> but you know, someone thought Sharknado was a good idea, and they love those films, so you know. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't put it up there. It's it's the same thing. I think it's crap. I understand why people like it. I understand, you know, a lot of people respect, you know, he did a lot with a very small budget. That's fair. Well, it also changed the way people made gangster and heist movies in a lot of different ways. How? There are so many people aping this concept of the tight-knit group of thieves going to do stuff. And granted, he's just playing okay, on tropes that had been played in French movies in the 60s. But that's, not, and that's a story. One, two, three. That's a story device. It's but they were, using, they were using the same visual visual sequences that oh, were using they've the used, same... They've used the... I mean, how many times have people stolen the whole slow-walking group? Yep. And especially with the suits. I do love that from couplings. Like, what are they doing? Ah, oh, they're doing reservoir dogs. My own brother did that at his wedding. Like, they're taking these pictures, and I'm dying laughing, and my mom's like, what, what's so funny? They're doing reservoir dogs, Mom. And to me, <laughs> let me let me get your one favorite moment of the whole movie. What was the one moment you loved? You actually were just like, this is good. Is there one? Uh-oh. I like Steve Buscemi. I'm a fucking professional. That's probably it. Okay. For me, and I got almost a little chill when I saw it again, is the Mexican standoff at the end of the movie. Hmm. The way it's framed and shot. Some of it is the visual storytelling. Some of it's the cinematography in this movie. Just totally makes me excited. When they when they all draw their guns on each other. That right is a better scene. End, that that how that's filmed and a lot of the different scenes in the movie is how we're seeing it on the screen. I like I like the dialogue in that that bit. It was faster paced. Yeah. It moved it moved better. That's one of the better sequences. Yeah. That to me is the best one. The best part of the whole thing. So. How many stars? 2. Oh, you didn't give it one. <laughs> it is better than RoboCop. <laughs> uh huh. By a lot, I'll give it that. It's better than RoboCop by no, a lot. No, that's fine. Because of Steve Buscemi. <laughs> you get a whole point because of Steve Buscemi and Tim Roth. You got you get some I love to like Tim Roth. Mm-hmm. Everybody else here. But it's Come mostly on. Steve Buscemi. Okay. Because I love him. I'm gonna average this out at a three because I'm gonna give it a four. A four? Yeah. Um, I'll go three and a half just to just to appease you. No, me. you said four. Okay. Otherwise, everyone's gonna go blame that I just shit on your movie and made you change your rating. No, no, that's not true. Um, look, I think it's not so much about the content of the dialogue and the story for me. Mm-hmm. It's about how the movie looks, mm-hmm. how the movie feels, and how everything moves. Mm-hmm. And. It just feels like a completely different thing. I, I think that's such a great part of it. Well, he did not do a good job here. Okay. Because his story sucks. Well, all right then. There you go. What's up next week? Trading Places. It's, it's That's a movie that me and my brother had on a loop. Now, let's be clear, it was recorded off a of TV, so all of, like, the dirty stuff. Like, I never saw Jamie Lee Curtis's boobs. 
But well, you're gonna this time. Yay! <laughs> um, this is like one of our most favorite movies that we have seen like, too many times. I've never seen it. That is just nuts. I mean, it's Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd. My dad. <laughs> Still. I could see your dad really liking this one. Exactly. That's why I'm just, still in a conundrum over it. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. Yeah, this is one of my, like... I didn't even watch it on TV edited. We my we had a couple tapes that my mom had recorded movies off of the TV. And so this and Overboard and Dirty Rotten Scoundrels were, like, on the continuous loops in our house. We Like, we love this movie. I think after a while, because I hadn't seen it and I knew it was on TV, mm-hmm. I didn't want to watch it because I was like, well, I've waited this long. I might as well watch the actual unrated or the, uh, yeah, that's the unedited for TV version. Yeah. <laughs> and then I didn't, I, I only learned this a few months ago because I was listening to his audiobook, but <laughs> yeah, Al Franken is in this movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, and, and his his writing partner, Tom Davis, I had no idea. Oh, yeah. And this now was... that I'm like, oh, of course, that's that's Al Franken. This was their heyday, so. Oh, yeah, this is like, we went, we were trading, he still gets paid for it. Oh, yeah. Which is hilarious. Cra- sitting, it just, it cracks s- me up. A sitting U.S. senator, so. There I you go. I love Al Franken. He cracks me up. Yeah. Well, that's what we're watching next time. Go. Cool. All right. That's it for this episode. Please take a moment to review and rate us on iTunes. And for questions and comments, drop us an email at macintoshandmod at gmail.com.